Ma! <laughs> What's up, Ma? What's up? How, how's your day going today? Uh, a little crappy, but it got better. <laughs> what you mean? Why was it a little crappy? Because I got played. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean you got played? I got played by RBA hair burrito. Oh, but your braids look good. They do. No, because I went to the Africans. Girl never braided my hair. Okay. So I had to find somebody else. So that kind of ticked me off this morning. Gotcha. But. Well, you yeah. looking good. You looking cute. Thank you. I'm <laughs> I'm in the streets. <laughs> Everybody in the streets now. <laughs> so I wanted to bring you here today. One, you know, Mother's Day is coming around the corner. You know, me and you, we have conversations all the time. Like, we be on the phone for hours. A lot of it is her talking, unless she asks me a question for feedback. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, okay, it's my turn to talk. But I wanted to focus today's session on, well, not sessions, but <laughs> look, this is not a therapy session. It's not a therapy session. But I wanted to focus today's topic on motherhood. And basically what motherhood was like for you. And I know that we, we've had conversations in the past about, you know, motherhood and things. But just introduce yourself to the people. Let everybody know, like, who you are, what you used to do for work before you retired. Um, and, you know, a fun fact about yourself. Fun fact, I'm fly. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm Monica Parrish. I was with Monica Marcel because I was married to your dad. And I went back to my maiden name, which is Parrish. I worked for New York City Department of Correction for 21 years, which was a very hard job, mm-hmm. but I survived. Um, what else about me? I have three sons. You're one of them. You're my middle child. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a couple of things. I've been a court officer. I've been a substitute teacher. I've been an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. Kind of everything. Um, and the fun fact about me is that people would not think that I was really a geek. <laughs> why why you say that? <laughs> and what do you mean, a geek? Why you say Because people think, because I'm always like the life of the party or whatever. So people think that that's who I am. But um, in the inside, I'm just like a real geek. I love reading books. I love science, I love travel, I love artwork, mm-hmm. um, things like that. And so when people realize that, they be like, oh, well, you're <laughs> you deeper than what I thought. You mm-hmm. know? But because, you know, you have to really get to know me to know those things. Right, right. You know what I mean? So let's, dive, let's just dive right in it. Let's just dive right in. <laughs> so Ray, Ray Vaughn, that is my older brother. So you had Ray at, how, how old was you again? 16. 16. So 16 and pregnant. Mm-hmm. That was 19 what? 84. 1984. So 1984, mm-hmm. totally different. You was more like... I was older than Oh, wait. Exactly 1984? Mm-hmm. Okay, so 1984, the dynamics of what the, you know, just world was like, totally different than 1984 was like... To the year of the crack epidemic. Um, <laughs> it was crazy in the streets in 1984. Um, being 16 and pregnant was no walk in the park. It wasn't like MTV. T- teenage parents too, you know, on TV. It was, was not like that. Mm. That It was like the scarlet letter to mm. be, yeah. you know, 16 and pregnant. Everybody that looked at you looked at you like you were going to be nothing. Wow. You're just going to be on welfare, and you're not going to be anybody, you know. Even, like, the high school I went to, which my mom was very disappointed in me because the high school that I went to was to to be a lawyer because my original thing that I wanted to do in my life was to be an international attorney and travel all around the world. Mm-hmm. That was my dream. But, unfortunately, God had another plan for me. But that school, I had to take a test. To get into that school, it wasn't like a regular school you could just get into. Yeah. And in New York, we had black neighborhoods and we had white neighborhoods. So I was traveling all the way over to the white neighborhood to go to this school because it was that prestigious at the time. Yeah. And um, 
I was not received very well. It was not like, it was nobody pregnant in school. So they didn't have anything prepared for me. Mm. And one of my teachers, which I was in the A in that class, and he told me when he found out I was pregnant, that wasn't going to be nothing. That was going to be cleaning somebody's floors. And that hurt me so bad because mm. I was like, I was a good student. So I was just like, dang, like, I thought this was like the worst thing in the world. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you think I murdered somebody? Like, because that's what people's thing was. Yeah, the stigma of it. So today when I look at and see them, like, them kids on MTV and it's like, same parents and it's, you know, it's like a whole big... Yeah, it's very glorified, and everybody's, it wasn't like that. It wasn't a lot of support um, and things like that, and my mom was very disappointed, so she was not supportive, and I guess it, to her, she felt like she was making me be a stronger person, right. you know, not to support me because at that time. Because that's tough love, like But she's in another era, you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't. I didn't feel supported at all, and it, that was a, it was a rough time. Yeah. It was not easy. So, if you could think back to that conversation, like, how did you tell your mom, like, hey, mom, I'm pregnant? Um, I never told my mom I was pregnant. She knew. She told me I was pregnant. I had no idea mm-hmm. that I was pregnant because I bloomed very late. So I didn't, I didn't get my period till like almost 15. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what that was because and my mom and them, they didn't talk to us about having sex or getting right. a period. Mm-hmm. They, that's, they didn't that's talk that's to us about my, that. That's my point. Right. So <clears throat> even when I got my period, I was, it was like late night and I thought I was dying <laughs> when I went to the bathroom. <laughs> I was screaming for my sister. I'm like, I'm dying. Like, I'm just living. Yeah, eternally to die. And my sister got out the bed and she was like, and just like threw a pad and was like, here, girl. And I'm like, what? And then the next day, because my mom had worked nights, nice, when she came home, she was like, oh, you were woman now. And I'm like, what? Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day so clearly because it was this red dress that I wanted. And she brought me that red dress and this sweater. Mm-hmm. The goal with the dress, and we went out to dinner, and they said I was a woman now. So I was like, I was still playing with dogs. Mm-hmm. I didn't know nothing about being a woman. I didn't even know, you know, what they were meaning by I'm a yeah. woman now. But you know, so late, I'm, I guess they mean you mean you're a woman now because you can get pregnant because nothing gets mm-hmm. married or whatever. So how do you think that plays on the psyche, like, like? For this whole time, you basically have been in a child's mindset and been like in a child's basically like presence, right? Mm-hmm. And then just because you get your period, it's like, oh, now you're a woman. In the black culture, it's like we didn't talk about any of this mm-hmm. prior to it. Right. So that has to be overwhelming. It was very overwhelming mm-hmm. and, and confusing. Right. Because I'm like, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, to be a woman, what does being a woman mean? Like, I'm too young to get a job. Like, I'm, like, not paying no bills. Like, what does a woman, being a woman mean? Yeah. Because I wasn't even thinking, like, in that type of realm of right. even, I didn't have a boyfriend or nothing. It wasn't allowed. So, right. my first time I had a second, I got pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For real. So, do you feel like... Like, do, do you think that's problematic, though? Like, like do, that plays a part into how young women, more specifically, like, young black women, not being properly prepared and having to basically act on their sexual desires and emotions and grow into them, like, in secrecy? Because it's not an open topic in the black home for young black women. Yeah, I would say, because... I looked at because I have two older sisters, so right. they snuck around and did everything. We didn't right. tell my mother anything, and they had boyfriends, but my mother didn't know. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew because I was young and I would catch them. They would, like, pay me off. Not to say that. I'll catch them. They would give me all the money. And they'd be like, yo, tell mommy, like, we'll buy you something when we get paid. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so nobody was saying anything. Even when, when I talk to my older sisters now and I say like, well back then I didn't know that, and my sister was like, really, you really know that? And I'm like, well how y'all didn't know how you know? Right. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. to me, I feel like, well, then y'all should have told me if you knew. Then somebody should say, you know right. what, let us inform you of how this goes. But I think because when we were raised, it was, you was just raised, you mind your parents. You don't ask yeah. questions. Yeah. Right. You, whatever they say goes, you didn't have a opportunity to have a feeling or emotion yeah. about something. It was like, mm-hmm. whatever I say go, and that's it. And if you was going to have an emotion about it, then you was going to get your ass with it. So, that's how that works. This is so, like, ironic. Like, you know, as I'm listening, you know why I call you mine as well. Mm-hmm. But, like, as I'm listening, like, I have... My aunt is probably right at your age, and she has six girls, right? Mm-hmm. One boy. And she had... She got pregnant young, mm-hmm. right? Because of the way my grandmother was right. on all of her daughters. And then my, but my aunt, in my opinion, like you did the same thing to your six daughters, mm-hmm. and they all did the same thing. Like, like I mean, they, you know, they're doing well for themselves. Mm-hmm. But that's that but generation like, years. And so it was like I have three older brothers, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like my mother brought that into our home. Now, granted, my mother's thirteen years older than my father, right? Mm-hmm. My father was like our brother, like growing up. So yeah. he was very open about. Conversations like sometimes it was like too open, you know what I'm saying? But my dad would always say like, if they don't, if we don't teach them in the house, they gonna learn how to either on their own or for somebody that we don't approve of. See, that's how it was with my kids. The only thing that was different is because they were male children and I was a woman. Mm -hmm. So me trying to have a conversation about sex with them, they were like, oh no 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 no, we don't want to hear this. <laughs> this is not the conversation we want to have with you. But their father was I think it was the approach. Like, it's the approach. Like, yeah. It was the approach because my father was, was overly aggressive with it. And I think my brother... Was, was it like, different coming from a man than, than coming from a woman? Well, see, he was like a jokester with it. So it was almost kind of like... See, you know what's so funny? Like, <laughs> like, you know what's funny? Because I remember um, I came home. I went to visit my dad. Like, it had to be, like, freshman year, it was right. the summertime, and I had my Virginia State book bag, and it had mad condoms, <laughs> and I was at my dad's house, and I had, I asked him to get something out of the bag, and I forgot it had all these condoms in it, so these condoms fall out, like, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was just like, I'm in college. <laughs> I'm in college right now. What do you mean? But the, it was no conversation, but it was real awkward. Like, right. I don't know. It was just Something awkward. nothing transpired. Nothing. We had no conversation. But I feel like when, when we were, when I was in, I may have been in middle school. Yeah, it was middle school. Yeah, when I, I was in the dirty tapes. When I was in middle school. She was a little aggressive with it. It was like, you know, we we don't want to talk to you about it. But it's coming. It was coming. Yeah. But I was with as a mom, I felt like because now I'm divorced, so now I have these three men right. that I have to inform because although they're not gonna come home with a baby, but they gonna come home with a disease or whatever, and it gets my pregnant, it's a whole another issue for you. So, I was very uncomfortable having a conversation as well, but I was like, okay, I have to do it. So, when I found the, I was getting them new beds, and under, like, the beds they had had these little dresses on the bottom, and they had the, the little <laughs> dirty tape. No, it wasn't a magnet. It was an ex ex Oh, you had a different armor. You had a different armor. Yeah. We skipped the bed. It was, they had no magnets. This thing was like, this thing was ex 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 You know what I mean? Because I wanted them to be respectful men. Not that I know they was going to have sex or whatever. And I think I said that to them. I said, I'm not stupid. I know you, you know, you kiss them, whatever. You, you might have sex or whatever. But I don't want you to get into trouble with you just might pregnant, catch a disease or whatever. So you got to protect yourself. So I showed them how to call them like a, a banana or something. Cucumber or something, they was looking at me like, what is that? <laughs> like, we are over there. And then um, I went to one of the doctors at my job, and he gave me this uh, poster. 
that had all the diseases that come on your hands. Right. And I put it up in their room. And they were like, ah, oh. ah. I was like, see what can happen to you if you go have sex. This is what's going to happen to you. It's terrible. You know? It's traumatizing. But <laughs> it was like, you know, what are you going to do? Right. You know what I'm saying? So that was another whole um, different kind of experience for me as a mom because as a mom, I can teach men um, the right things to do and stuff like that, but I'm not a man. So they go through different stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, girls, we don't go. Y'all be in there jacking off and all kind of mess. <laughs> yeah, Vaseline be looking nasty. The looking nasty. You know, you just like, ooh. And I had no idea until my partner at work, I was telling him, you know, about the Vaseline and the lotion, and he just fell out laughing. And I'm like, why are you laughing? And he was like, yeah. He said, Mom, don't use nothing to use. Bottom their own stuff. So I'm like, well, I still have no money to be buying separate lotions and all this and that. And he said, well, this is what happens. So when he informed me what was happening, you found that money. Right. So I was like, <laughs> but then it, this was the kicker. They would be like, because I would put all my stuff in my bathroom. I put their stuff in their bathroom. Mm-hmm. And they'd be still, still my stuff. And I'm like, look, y'all have your own shampoo, lotion, whatever. And they'd be like, but you got the good stuff. You get us jeans, <laughs> but it's it's different to for a woman right. to raise men's children, mm-hmm. and because as a mom, you're even like now they're men, and now they say they're like, "Mom, I'm girl, I'm a right. man." Like, but until I die, I'm gonna still be a mom. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna still worry. I'm gonna still like, "Where you at? What happened? Is something happening to like? Where are you?" Or whatever. So they're like, Mom, I'm a man. You don't have to be checking for me like this, this, and that. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to always do that. So I'm going to yeah. be like, mm, whatever. They're going to be mad. Yeah, they won't accept it. They just have to accept <laughs> it. I'm just going to be that way. But it's hard to do to be a mom and a dad because I can never be a dad. Huh? I can only be a mom. And I can only, you know, and you can just hope and pray that you. You know, you did that. I did the best that I could. Well, you obviously did. Like, you know, yeah. but you know, you don't know. Yeah. And I would say that for any mother, you don't know. So, do you think that, or at this point, when you were raising them, was there ever a time that you were like, "I'm gonna just have a, one of my brothers or uncles or like a the coworker or somebody come in and talk to them?" Or was it kind of like these are my responsibilities? I'm gonna handle it. Yeah. Okay. Because any person I would, if, if I wanted, yeah, if I wanted someone to talk to them, it would have been their father. Respect. And if their father wasn't doing it, I didn't. To me, I just felt that was out of place to have some I other man yeah, come in trying to tell my kids something. I, was, I, yeah. I didn't feel that that was um, proper. Like if they, if it was their dad, and, was, and he's saying whatever, whatever. That's his kids, and he can he right. can do that. But I went with another man to put his hand on my kids or be saying something that I might not even agree with. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? So yeah. I. Mm-mm. So what was it like for you? So you and my dad got divorced when I was in like fourth was grade. Yeah, was <clears throat> I was in fourth grade because that's when the that was when the World Trade Center. What year was that? Um, 2011. 2011. Oh yeah, it was 2011. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the because I remember I was in fourth grade and that's when it happened. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> what was it? What was the difference for you when you did have that male room in the house versus not having a male room in the house? Because at that time, I mean, really, it was just me and Ray. Dante came, but he wasn't there for a long period of time. With with Dante. Yeah, because Dante was like three years old. <clears throat> so, what would you say was the difference? Um, the difference was, um, I guess with boy children, the difference was is that he didn't take no mess. I think I was kind of like the pushover and be like, leave them alone. And he'd be like, nah, this is da 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 da, and they're gonna do this. So, y'all was, you know, quick to mind. Versus when I got divorced, as they started getting a little bit taller, it was like, 
trying to say to me, like, who are you talking to? And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what we're doing? So now I'm going to have to check you. Right. You know, but when they followed, when me and their father was married, they just never did that. If you walked in my house when I was married, you wouldn't know I had kids. That's how, but they followed in the military too. He was an officer too, but he was, I think he was way stricter than me. He definitely mm-hmm. was. Yeah, he was way stricter than yeah. me. So they, it was a whole different dynamic. Yeah. So I guess for, for myself and for them, it was like, ooh, freedom. Like, you know, he ain't here to say whatever, and mom's a pushover, so she's gonna, but then I had to put my foot down. It's so much of a pushover. Right, I like, think that it's like, I'm not saying like a pushover, pushover but like, it's like the, the last resort. Like, I, th- I feel like my dad came in like as the last resort. It's like if my mom was like, you know what? It's kind of like if you can't win the fight and you'd be like, but I got some big brothers and stuff. Like, <laughs> yeah, this, I feel like my brother, I had a little brother, you know, he's, <laughs> my brother is four years, yeah, Uncle Tony, he's four years younger than me, mm-hmm. but. Um, he was in penitentiary for all his whole life, so he it wasn't nothing that I was saying to him like, "Oh, come and talk to my sons." Now, if he was a different right. brother, yeah. then yes, but he he would bring nothing to them, you know. What he gonna tell them? Jail stories? <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> so, and that wasn't happening. So I think his um. Me and his dad did not have like a, our divorce was very tumultuous, so it was, you know what I mean. We was totally whatever. So if I asked him to do something, he'd be like, "No, you do it. You handle it. You have them." You know what I mean? So I just had to ask him, and I would just work it out how I would how I could work it out. And mm-hmm. the good thing is that like Gregory and Dante, Dante's the youngest, they listen. Yeah. yeah. That's my oldest son, Raymond, he was, he was the one that, you know, he was he was listening to me. He, yeah, he was doing what he wanted to do, steal my cars, all kind of like he just he, he made it unbearable. It was just like, dude, what you what you want from me? You know what I mean? But they were they just listened. And I said they wasn't no perfect kids, right? But they they listened, and then when I they saw the struggle that I was having, just you know trying to maintain, pay the bills, babysitters, and don't have a babysitters. Like okay, y'all stay in the house, don't go outside, don't answer the door, don't answer the phone, you know all of that. <clears throat> so it's you know it's, it's a lot. It's only the stress of it, and then he added another level of stress. So. It was a little easier with them. I could talk to Gray and say, look, I want you to do da 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 I want you to do this. And he would listen. Yeah. You know, my Rayquan, <laughs> he just, he just wasn't conscious. So, I mean, it's, it's hard. Because I felt disappointed. And like, <clears throat> at some, at one point, I felt like, like I was a failure as a parent. Like, I felt like I did something wrong. Like, you know, like, like why is Gregory and Dante, you know, blossoming and being blessed and doing what they have to do? Like, what did I do wrong with him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but when I look at it, I'm like, he had more than on him because it was just me and him for the longest. Right. Yeah. So he had every opportunity. This way, when he was from pre-K on, he was in private school that was costing me a college tuition. You understand what I'm saying? So he didn't have, so I'm like, you want, you know? That's interesting. Like, that's interesting because I think of like the dynamics of like the four of us. Like my oldest brother was the same way. Now my oldest brother is not my dad's son. Mm -hmm. And they are, my my oldest brother and my dad are only 10 years apart. (laughs) So I don't know. I don't know how that was for my mom, you know what I'm saying? Like, because mm-hmm. it's almost like, that's your brother. Right. right. Real talk, right? But what I do know is that my father bought my brother his first car off the lot. Like, he was there. Like, he always treated him. But my brother, in my opinion, mm-hmm. you had everything that, as I'm growing up, I'm like, I want. You, 
I better walk and get a car in high school off the lot. Right. Like everything my brother messed up for the rest of us. Like, mm. My brother dropped out of high school because his like friends were like a grade older than him. Yeah. So when they graduated, it was like, right? So everything my dad was just like knocking up. It was like my dad was learning. Right. How, like learning like as like you learning on the cup. Yeah. You yeah. My mother had moments where she was heavy on us because it was like, what am I not doing right? Or what did I do right with him? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And I, I remember asking her and I asked you the same question, like if there's anything that you could if if there's anything that you could have redone, would you have done anything different? With Ray? Just as a mother. Um No, I think no, I think I did what I was supposed to. Huh. And I did it the best of my ability. Yeah. And like I told them, I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. I'm sure I probably did some things that they be like, oh, please, she was horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I think I, um, I, I did, you know, I raised them to the best of my ability. And like I said, I didn't have a lot of help. Right. You know, they dad wasn't helping like that. It was. You know, I was literally like begging him, like, can you please take the kids so I can get a break or whatever. And I didn't really trust a lot of people. So I would not let my kids be with a lot of people, including some of my family. <laughs> so I just, I kind of, um, like people back in the day, people would say I was too strict with them. Oh, you always said them. Like they, I feel like they in bed at 30, but my reasoning for them going to bed at 30 is because I needed to de-escalate myself. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? It was giving self-care. Yeah, because yeah. I, you know, when I realized that I was bringing work home, so I was coming home, I'm still angry. Now, mind you, I would go to Rikers Island, which was all the way in yeah. East Island, was Queens. We lived in Long Island, mm-hmm. all the way at exit 32. So imagine the drive, you get stuck, 16 hours, so it's like I'm working way past 16 hours because now I gotta go all the way home, and then I get home, and it's like, Mom, ah, and I'm like, uh, Give me a minute. Now I'm sounding like the inmates, right? <laughs> <laughs> give me, give me baby prisoners, right? Give me a minute, but they didn't realize because even when I started the job in 1988, I was 21, mm-hmm. we were like the first black officers, right? And most females, I think it was um, 76 females, which never happened before. And corrections was like all white. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. so, and I had never visited nobody in jail. I didn't didn't do the hood guys. I I never even been there before. I got lost going there. Mm-hmm. So the stress of it, and I threw it, it was like TV, like everybody's in the cell. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they can touch you. So I was thinking, <laughs> like, oh, they, they gonna rape me. And at the time I went in in the '80s, it was riots every day. Yeah. Like we couldn't even sit down and eat lunch. It was a long going off. Yeah. So it was all day. You had fear. So you was like on edge, anxiety, yeah. everything. everything. Always. Mm-hmm. And then even that I suffered with anxiety. I did, mm. All of this stuff was happening to me and because we, we so trained as black folk is, oh no, you keep, keep it moving. You make it back to work, keep it moving. You make that money, take that old time, keep it moving. Mm. And I didn't realize that I was experiencing anxiety. Right. Mm. Mm. Because when I, as soon as I would go over that bridge, I would get a migraine headache. I just feel ill. Mm. When I retired, I never got a migraine again. After I retired, mm-hmm. the stress, the anxiety, your stomach hurt, your everything. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you don't know what you're getting ready to walk into. I had never seen somebody, and it wasn't even a hot dog's ice cream, it was a no name ice cream. Mm-hmm. They cut this boy open, blood everywhere. I'm throwing up. They was like, well, you ain't gonna make it on this job. I'm saying to myself, like, yeah, I ain't gonna make it. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
But <laughs> this is when you first started. Yeah, this is when I first started. I'm like, oh yeah, twenty one years. But it's you know what I'm saying? But I had a to me it, that was not a job that I was like, Oh, I wanna be a correctional officer. I didn't know nothing about no correctional girl. That wasn't even on my radar. The issue was I was a, a teenage mother and that dream I had of being a, a, a international attorney, that wasn't a I needed a job, I needed a city job, I needed benefits mm-hmm. and that afforded me all of those things. So I had a good life, but it wasn't, it wasn't something like some officers you see in there, they're like top cops. Yeah. They always wanted to be this. Yeah. You know what I mean? They okay. always wanted to be <laughs> no a cop. Yeah, you know. Right. Right. They always cops. wanted to be, you know, I always wanted to be a cop. I always wanted to be. And so I was like, I didn't, this is not what I always wanted to be. It, it was a means to an end for me. And I'm like, okay, I get a pension, I get to retire early. Oh, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But it wasn't uh, um, like a job that I enjoyed like that. Like I enjoyed people. You know, mm-hmm. I met a not a lot of good friends and stuff. I enjoyed the people, but it, the job never. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that I ever aspired to be. <laughs> but it, it. So at what point did you feel like you? You recognize anxiety, your anxiety attacks. Yeah. I didn't recognize it until ooh, probably cause I was a first responder in 9 11, and our job um, at 9 11 for corrections were to sift through the remains to get like people's IDs or jewelry or whatever and bag for when the families would come. So you can identify because there's no bodies. And um, I think I had my first panic attack that day going down there. And I didn't really realize it, but <laughs> my partner I was working with that day because we had to go through the, um, the Midtown Tunnel. And for whatever reason, because we was hearing on our radios, uh, like, all of the stuff that was happening, and all of a sudden, I just started having the whole pain. I just felt like I was about to have a heart attack, and I was driving. Mm-hmm. And he said he was screaming my name, but I couldn't even hear him. It was just like I'm looking like I need to get out of this tunnel because for me, I was like, all right, if they blow the this up, we gonna drown because this the water is so under the tree. Like that tunnel triggered. Yeah. And since then, like, even coming to come to see him for college, whoo, the panic attack just to come over the bridge and go through the tunnel, you know, and I never told nobody. I just kind of suffered in silence because everybody always just, they was like, oh, you're strong, I ain't no you, but I was like, strong people. <laughs> need somebody too. Yeah. But I never told anybody. And I think one day me and Greg was talking and I was telling him, I don't know if I went somewhere, somebody asked me to go somewhere and I was like, oh my God, look the bridge. Like my stomach hurt to mm. come out. And he was like, oh, that happens to me too, going over the, over the bridge. I said, really? But I first noticed it for myself in between that 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then when I moved, when I retired, Delaware, I went and was um, being a court officer because it was a cute job. You know, mm-hmm. it was eight to four, no weekends, no holidays, you know, get started. Cute. So we had a 211, 211 14 shootout. It happened to be my case. <laughs> Lucky me, right? Mm-hmm. Three people dead, brain on the floor, everything. I moved around the whole scene and move people where they need to go and everything and did not um, hear anything. And people was like, they were saying stuff to me, I couldn't hear. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, it was, and when I was that doctor, I was like, I feel like I'm a deaf or something, like I couldn't hear anything. But that had happened to me before when my dad died. Mm-hmm. 
And I was there when he took his last breath. I couldn't hear nothing. But I saw, you know, trees running in, and I knew my sister was crying or whatever, but I couldn't hear. Right. Yeah. So, the doctor told me, he was like, that's like your defense mechanism. Yeah. You just shut off and just continue to do whatever it is you have to do. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, when, because we were there in that courthouse all day, like, SWAT, everybody, this is a crazy day. Yeah. I think we got out of that courthouse until like six or seven o'clock that night mm-hmm. after everything. And I was really having nightmares and panic attacks. And it was time for us to go back. It was like I my whole body was like shaking to go to the building. Mm-hmm. And I was telling my mom, and she was just like, well, you don't have to do that. Why do you keep getting these unsafe jobs? And I'm like, I thought it was safe. <laughs> like, so I heard like, you know? <laughs> So, right. 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 Throughout all of that, because, I mean, your career had, was traumatizing. Yeah. Nobody suggested, like, especially, like, the professionals, like, the, you know, your um, sergeants or whatever, none of them suggested, like, you get therapy or, like, just do something to kind of have a No. They don't give, guess you ain't supposed to cuss on here. They don't give two, you know what? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you, I first started, Ray was probably one years old. Right. When I started corrections, and you know, you come in, you're on the wheel. Mm-hmm. I wasn't used to that. I used to work in a little nine to five job. Mm-hmm. And so they put up posts. So I was like, okay, I'm going to put up a post, try to get a day tour. So we had, you know, I'd be home early, whatever, get him from school and stuff like that. So it was a black captain that worked in the personnel. So I was like, okay, black man, I can do this, push boots, I can do this. So I went in there and, you know, I told him I have a son, you know, I really need a steady tour, da da da. He listened to me, he looked at me, and he said, nobody told you that um, have a child. I was just like, what? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because to me, I felt like, oh, I'm going to a black person, he's going to understand mm-hmm. and, That's you know, yeah. give me a, a post. Mm-mm. They don't care. They tell you, you need a babysitter for your babysitter, your babysitter. They, they don't, you know what I'm saying? It was nothing. Even when I went, when I went to divorce, I had like a little breakdown. And they don't care. The only thing that <laughs> didn't happen one day, because I was just so... Stressed out, I was just like, I'm just not going to call in sick. And the girl said, um, on the phone, she said, what's the nature of your illness? And I said, I'm stressed the fuck out. And she said, that's a cold five. I didn't know what the fuck cold five was. <laughs> cold five, they, they sent the cops, the warden, and everybody to my house. So I'm like, look, I just want to fucking sleep. I, I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> oh, okay, let's get and that. they were like, oh, we need to take your weapon. And then, I didn't say I was gonna kill myself. I, all I said was I was stressed out because I was. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's um, one awarded, Warden Davis, let his man to death. He, um, I worked with him a couple of times in some different buildings. He noticed something not right with me. And he called me in his office. And I sat in that man's office and just cried, 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 cried of everything. And he was like, you know what? He said, I'm going to give you three weeks off. I'm not going to take your time. Because what if they take your time, then it's like, if one of the kids gets sick or whatever, then I have no time to be off. Then I go in a category. And when a category, then it's, you just got issues all the time. They just mess with you. And that man gave me three weeks off and did not take a bit of time for me. And that was the best thing because I just, I, it was a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Moving, because we, we had built the house. And we, like, I thought this was going to be like, right now me and him would have been chilling. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? We was young and doing it. We built a house from ground up. People mm-hmm. was, neighbors was coming to us like, y'all drug dealers? Because, you know, we was young. And I was pregnant with Don then. You know, they see me come out, I'm watching them, you know, crack the ground for the house and everything and tell them to put my shit away again. It was just like. It's a dream, right? Yeah, it was a dream because I was like, look at me. Like, who would have thought? Who would have thought? 
You know what I mean? I'm a 16-year-old. <laughs> Mama, who would have thought that like we would do this? You know? So it was, you, I felt like a failure. I did. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, how, like, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen? Right. So fast forward to today, right? Mm-hmm. You, if anybody knows me, <laughs> you are, you are mama, the good time. Like, you definitely treat all of us that Greg considers family mm-hmm. like your own kids. But you have a good time. Like, everybody, I think, has their own personal relationship with you. They do. Like, <laughs> you and I have even gone out without Greg's presence. Right. And it's like, you're, you're like the cool auntie. Like, <laughs> but it's like, do you think because you lived or you had to be such a serious young woman for so long that, like, this is like your celebration, like, of life, that you're so enjoyable? Like, how did you get from that to where you are today? I think I was always that type of person. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, she used to go. She used to always be. She was always that girl. (laughs) But yeah, I was always that girl. But, and then, like, all my friends would be at my house. My house was the boy house. Mm -hmm. They'd be like, I pull up in the driveway with groceries. The kids would come and be like, we can hurry. Because they'd be like, what you going to cook tonight? So everybody, my house was the boy house. Everybody, all the boys would be there. And um, I was that chick that, okay, I'm staying up with what y'all doing because I don't want nobody doing nothing crazy up here. <laughs> I need to know what's happening. But um, I've, I'm like that with all of them, even all the great friends. My oldest son, I know all his friends and their mama. I know everybody, I know their numbers. I know where they live at because I knew their parents because, like, Greg was telling you, they couldn't go to nobody's house. I was like, where's their mother? I need to speak to their mother. They fall over there. You know what I mean? I need to speak to their mother. Right. Because you, cause you know how kids are coming and be like, oh, so-and-so said we go to the house. And their mother don't even know. That you, why you here? But um, I just love, I love people. And a lot of people help me. So I always, no matter what, whoever, Ask me for help. They need food, clothes, whatever. They know I would come down here all the time. It's that's how all of those guys now they grown men and it. They always come back to me and be like, I I never forgot what you did for me at undergrad. I never forgot. And I was it, it fills my heart because right. I just did it from my heart. It wasn't like oh now you owe me or none of that because I know what that felt like. Right. So. <laughs> Y'all two are right here on the couch, right? Right. Like, y'all have the opportunity today. Mm-hmm. Say what y'all gotta say to each other. <laughs> like, like you so know, like the good, the bad. Like, I mean, as Greg's friend, like we, you know, what I'm saying, like we met in college, obviously. Right. We same, um, did an organization together, mm-hmm. and I was like his older brother, and I always tell Greg like how proud I am of him. And it's not because I never thought he was going to be successful. It's just the fact that, like, when I look at this brother, like, it's like he overly outdo himself every time. Whether it's the dinner, whether it's a party, whether it's him being professional, or just how he loves on his friends and stuff. And so, I think, like, Virginia say change me. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I feel it's like being at Virginia State taught me to, one, be comfortable with telling your friends and your family that you love them in real time, mm-hmm. but also giving people their flowers while they did. So it's like I can only imagine how much love Greg has for you because we probably love you almost. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like he y'all might be swear y'all best friends. So it's like, but like, you know, like, Lakara text me. Lakara literally texts me this morning at like eight o'clock, like. It was nine o'clock. She was like, "Your mom is so funny," and I'm like, "I'm asleep still." Like, <laughs> have y'all me and her was talking. I'm like, "I'm sure she's gonna call me later and tell me the same story she told you." <laughs> okay. okay, don't give me a preview. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I like for Greg. I I've always known his work ethic, mm-hmm. but I was that person that was pushing him like that too. 
Like in my house, a 90 was no good. Their teachers would call me and say, oh, you need to, and I told them, whatever you do in your house is fine. In my house, 90 no good. You know, because for me, I knew that if your education, if you get your education, can't nobody stop you, can't nobody move you. And they used to get tired of me. I'd be like, you're a black man, you gotta work 10 times harder. That was my speech, like, daily. And they'd be like, we know, we black men, we gotta work harder. Mm -hmm. But for me, I wanted my kids to surpass me. I wanted them to have every opportunity in the world. I wanted them to travel the world. Just see things, do things way unimaginable than, that I can even think of, that they can even think of. Mm -hmm. And he's done that. He's just, like, even with the undergrad, him and undergrad was a whole struggle, but we did it. And he kept telling me, Mom, don't be crying. I said, I ain't gonna harm you that. <laughs> and here he was. He was the one balling. But it's like he came out and we just hugged and me and him both just cried. And he was like, Mom, we did it. Because I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. We were getting that money. <laughs> it wasn't easy. You know what I'm saying? But. One thing I can say about him is that he has never disappointed me. He has always done a thousand percent, no matter what. Even from little, it was like he'd be like, oh, mommy doing this, mommy doing that. This kid was like, oh, he want to drive, I want to drive. I go food shopping. I go, you know, just to take stuff off of me. Even mm -hmm. one time, because like when I was married, we go to vacations and all of this and that. And they was like really on my back. And I was like, it's just us now. I can't do all of that what we used to do. I can't do it. Right. So I gave them my check and the bills. And I said, y'all good with math. Y'all added up. See how much money we got left. And he says, mom, you are more, your check, your bills is more than your check. I said, exactly. So I'm making miracles in the hand. But she only showed us one check. But when I did that, he went and got a job because he was he always loved fashion. He mm -hmm. wanted those with them true religion jeans, true religions, Ibizos. True religions was like a hundred and something dollars. So I was like, I can't get you true religion because we don't want to get for your brothers. They, I can't get everybody to you. It's so funny. Let me tell you a quick funny story. I remember it was, I think I was going to high school. So, you know, school shopping coming around the world. So I'm like, oh my, like, when we going to school shopping, it's August, like, school's about to start in September. So she's prolonging school shopping. So it was literally two days before school, and she was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to get y'all school clothes until, like, two weeks after school when I get paid. So I got an attitude. And I'm like, <laughs> I gotta, go to, I gotta go to school with no new clothes, no new sneakers. She came home a day before school with an Italian icy shirt <laughs> from Target. Like, hey, you can wear this to school tomorrow. I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, did she just bring me an Italian icy shirt? It was black. It was a black shirt that had the red. It had red, blue, and like another <laughs> color Italian ice cream. And I was like, <laughs> I'm getting a job. <laughs> I'm about to get a job. And after that, I promise you, I did not I didn't let her school shop for me no more. He did. That he was, was like, no more, you know, I'm not my clothes no more. And the sweetest thing that touched me, he said, um, he said, Mom, you don't gotta buy my school clothes enough. Nothing anymore. He said, just buy Dante. And he said, and then I, and I'm gonna help you with Dante sneakers and stuff too. And I was just like, what? You know what I'm saying? Because he's a child. You mm -hmm. understand? He can, for him to even have the foresight to think to say, you know what? Well, let me help her because she need help or whatever it was. But and I think me and him. That's how me and Gregory connect so much. Me and Ray have a whole nother connection because he's the eldest. Right. And then Don's the baby and Don was sickly so he was really, you know, my baby baby. He, that's why he's still home with me. He just only <laughs> <laughs> But it's you know, just in and I think I give him his roses all the time. I always yeah. tell very how proud I am of him. And it just 
it just fills my whole heart because I think I saw somebody get one of my pasta and because when I was divorced, I tried to kill myself. And <laughs> so I took a whole bottle of sleeping pills and drank like half a bottle of Hennessy and woke up. It's <laughs> not funny. It ain't funny. I can laugh about it now, but I was just like, when he was getting ready to graduate, and I was talking to my pastor about it, and I was just, you know, because it was just on my mind, because I was like, wow, I would have missed all of this. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I was like, wow, like, you really was going to be a punk, you know what I mean? But I just felt like I wasn't, um, I'm not going to be a good parent, I can't take care of three kids by myself, I, like, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. So, I feel like, okay, they'll be good, they'll get all the money that I have, and they'll be good. So I, when I look back at that, I was like, wow, look at all the good things I would have missed if I had succeeded. But God had another plan for me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, oh, no, honey, <laughs> come on, you up. God, God. Okay. <laughs> and when I woke up the next day, I was like, what the, I was so mad. I was mad, y'all. I was like, what the, I was cussing everything. Mm-hmm. Like, for real, dude? Like, how did this you know? But... It taught me, and, and, and I think that's what keep me grounded is that, you know, I was raised in church, and I know how to pray. And so I didn't fall ill to none of that crack epidemic or nothing, because it's not that I wasn't around it, mm-hmm. couldn't have been, but I just, was, I, I knew that I wanted more, and I wanted them to have more and do more. And so when I looked at him, he said, just... Just like I lived through him, and now this is the first time in my life at 54 that I am able to just be comfortable like that. That I'm not stressed about nothing, I'm not worried about no bills, or I need a babysitter or anything. It's like this is the first in my life that I could just breathe, just be, just be. It's like, oh, okay, everything is good. Like, I ain't got a man or nothing, but I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> No, but I'm saying, but I'm loving me. And that's the most important thing. And just for me to sit back and watch my kids blossom is just the best thing in the world to me. You know? So I'm never mad at that. He know I'm his biggest biggest cheerleader. I'm at everything. I've never missed nothing. I don't care how I had to slide in on it or whatever, leave work early, sneak out. It's like, no, my kid is doing this or that or whatever. I'm going to be there no matter what. So I I think I give my baby his flowers. And I'm very, very proud of you. And I thank you for honoring me and letting me come on your first podcast (laughs) and talk about motherhood and mental health. (laughs) Taco Tuesday. This life situations, you know, how we overcome them and how we blossom into these beautiful beings that God had created us for, you know. So I'm, I would say that, you know, you was a you was a good parent, you know. I enjoyed, I enjoyed being, you know, your child and being raised by you. I've learned a lot of lessons. I don't think that you was too strict. I mean, there was times where you did a little too much, but. <laughs> But for the most part, you know, I felt like you were fair yeah. when we were growing up. You know, you was definitely fair. And now, you know, you want to be my best friend so bad. <laughs> you know I'm your bestie. <laughs> she called me like three times. And I'm like, Mom, I'm at work. I'm at. Oh, but real quick, I just want. Did you see what's up? I just thought I was at work. <laughs> like, literally, she called me today, like, I was like, Mom, I'm about to have a session. My client's about to walk in. Oh, well, guess what? 
I just told you my son is about to walk in. You trying to have a full blown conversation? She gives it like, well, me, at this point, you're doing too much talking because I could have already said what I was going to say. She already know what she got to say. Yeah. So before we wrap up, I guess, like, being that we honor him, you know, his mother's day, we can't come in and things like that. Just refocusing on what we were talking about, like, because at the end of the day, it's still happening. It's still happening to young black women. The, they're not having a sex talk. They're not having an open dialogue with their mothers. Yeah, pregnant or early. They're getting pregnant early or whatever. Mm-hmm. If, you know, you have a platform right now, what would you say to the mothers of these young black women that are coming up in an even harder time because there's so much influence out there? And even what would you say to those young girls that may be about to be those teen moms? Well, first, what I would say to the young girls that's about to be those teen moms is that life is not over. Mm-hmm. And you can still be whoever you want to be. Because nobody put that into me. I felt like, oh, everything in my life is over. Like, I'm not going to be anything. So, I would say that they should know their life is not over. You can still go to college. You can still pursue a great career and stuff like that. And to the mothers of the girls, I would say, you know, stop lifting up your daughters. Stop letting them just be out here. It's, you know, everybody likes to look cute, likes to look sexy, but you don't have to have everything hanging out. Mm-hmm. Because now it's in this era with the Instagram and all of that stuff, black girls are so sexualized. From the time they little, because of how they dance, how they body move, how their body is structured. So, you know, and fathers need to empower their daughters mm-hmm. to let them know. But the mother really has to empower her daughter to let her know that she's more than just what's between her legs. And if a guy can't respect her enough, then be, she, if she say, I'm a virgin, I don't want to do this or whatever, then that's not the person you need to be with. Because mm-hmm. I really believe there's a lot of peer pressure because it's like, oh, well, I'm doing it and this one is doing it. But when I grew up, it wasn't, you know, a lot of girls wasn't doing that. People would just say stupid. They'd be like, oh, I got a hickey. <laughs> <laughs> and me and my friend, we put Girl, red lipstick. Yeah, maybe that's what. We put red lipstick on our, on our um, neck. Trouble. You know, they like, oh, we got a hickey. And then that lipstick came on. You know that. Makeup back then was horrible. <laughs> but I think if if um if mothers are they really they need to talk to their daughters and their sons yeah. about having sex, about being responsible, about even being in a relationship because it's 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 that's serious. Yeah. It's I not, think, I think one of the issues is that a lot of for the black community, mm-hmm. we don't see a lot of healthy relationships. Right. So it's right. hard for those parents to have those conversations with their kids because they don't know what it is. I mean, especially for the, I can speak for like the population that me and work, work with. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of broken homes. You know, it's a lot of kids, drug dealing, fights going on, parents being abused, etc. And that's not everywhere, but... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then like, you have that mean that's a been generational coming down. It's like everybody is in like survival mode. Right? Yeah. Nobody has time to be in a child's place. But then you think about it, there's no more grandma. <sighs> like, you know, God bless it that my grandma was 104. Yeah. We went to my grandma on the weekend. We went to church. She was the church. Right. You know what I'm saying? So now it's no more grandma. Grandma in the club with you. <laughs> Twerking. <laughs> You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, grandma, I, my grandma wasn't doing that. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew on Sunday we was gonna have a big Sunday dinner and a homemade pound cake with the, that look. You know, but it's none of that now. Yeah. And nobody's instilling into their daughter you're beautiful, whatever. No matter what they look like, you gain a little weight, you did, you're skinny, or whatever. But nobody, it's it's putting that into their daughter like you're beautiful, you're worth this. You're worth more than that. Mm-hmm. So they going out, they looking for love in all the wrong places. Yeah. And that's that's <laughs> what brings teenage mothers. Yeah. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Because you're not getting that love at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now, the first boy that's like, oh, I love you. Oh, you're cute. Oh, you got a big butt or whatever. Now, you think that's love. Yeah. 
right. and it's not. So, look into the camera and tell <laughs> that teenage girl that may, may see this video what she is. I would say if you're a teenage girl, you should know that you are worthy. You're more than just what between what's between your legs, you're more than your body. And no matter what anyone else tells you, even if your mother or your father doesn't uplift you, then that means you need to encourage yourself every day, uplift yourself every day, and know that you are more than what society says. You are more than just what your neighborhood says. And anything and everything that you want to do in life, you can accomplish that. I did it, and there's a million other women that have as well. But if you stay focused and stay on task, to what it is that you want to do, that right boy is going to come. And he's not going to just be looking for what's between your legs. He's going to really be there for love. So don't go for looking for love in all the wrong places. Because sometimes it does not work out well. But you can do it. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's it. That's it. So we wrap up.